With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casello, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, back to football after a bye week week. Yeah, this is the uh, this is one of two podcasts you're getting this week. It's a bonus week for everybody. I don't know what order they're going to be in just yet, but uh, they will be in some order. I can promise that. Uh, we'll also be giving you the customary basketball season preview, which will be largely devoid of jokes and garbage other than things that are relevant to basketball, which is... I'm sure uh, a, a blessing for everyone who who might have tuned into last week's show. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully not too many jokes and garbage about what is a very unknown Syracuse team. But first, I guess this this is kind of an unknown Syracuse team too. I think we we, we feel pretty good about them, but now the unknown is uh, what is the ACC? Uh, the ACC is is not exactly garbage. I feel like the Pac-12 is flirting with that this year, um, but. It's getting close because we're really only about four teams deep, and Syracuse might be the fifth best team in the league, which is worrisome. And that's not even yeah. to hate us. That's really just to point out like how weird the league is this year. Yeah, it, it's it's nice that like the Syracuses and Wake Forests and Boston Colleges are you know a good deal. It seems like a good deal better than they have been in recent years, and that like an NC State is finally like taking a step forward. And like there are teams that are doing good things. The problem is like you need Florida State to be uh, you know good, and they're they're just not like they're just not a good team right now. That doesn't mean that Syracuse will just automatically go down and beat them. But uh, FSU looks pretty weak. Uh, getting, they just got pasted by Boston College uh, last weekend. Um, they were miserable obviously, on Friday. Yeah, really, really bad. Um, Louisville is has been kind of mediocre all year, uh, and there are no bowl lock even with Lamar Jackson putting up pretty crazy numbers again. Um, obviously, on the coastal side, it's it's kind of a mess behind Miami. Uh, so yeah, there, I mean, the ACC I think has um, some good teams, but but the only great teams, um, yeah, Miami is still kind of I don't know. I, I won't, don't want to say they're unproven; they're undefeated, but. It, they they feel kind of hollow at undefe- uh, as an undefeated team this far, and Clemson, uh, while quite a good team, um, is obviously very vulnerable. So uh, definitely a down year compared to what we've seen from the ACC the last definitely last year and even the last couple. Yeah, I mean, as much as I like, I appreciate all like the and everyone should appreciate like there's some cheerleading even from some of the Clemson fan base, but the Florida State fans and, and some others like saying like the more teams that are good in the conference, the better. It helps everybody. Problem is, like, eh, yes and no. If everybody's good, 
that's fine, but like there still needs to be a better than good group. And it seems like the teams that are getting, you know, quote unquote good, us, Wake, BC, Virginia to an extent this year, um, some others, like they're doing it at the like cost of, you know, Florida State, Louisville, Clemson to a lesser extent. Um, and that's really kind of harming the top of the league. I mean, while I think that the floor for the ACC right now is pretty much as high as any other league in the country, um, the problem with that is that it's also hurting the ceiling. And I'm not saying I don't want Syracuse to be part of the, the upper echelon. I don't think Syracuse needs to lose for the ACC to survive or, or, or thrive. I think that there still needs to be a definitive bottom, and, and, and this is what happens. And you know, this was kind of predicted a couple of years ago. This is what happens when you have you know, just winning hires across the board. Um, the ACC did a great job um, hiring two years ago when they had some turnover um, at SU and Virginia Tech and Virginia and a couple other places. And now this is the result of that is that you just have you have like a couple like maybe elite programs and you have a lot of really good ones. Um, and there's no real bottom, but that means that everyone can jump out and bite everyone um, on any given Saturday. And this was really, I mean, even before we got there, this was kind of the ACC's issue for a very long time and why it was it was kind of under scrutiny for so long before we arrived um, and the initial wave of expansion um, showed up back in 03 and 04. Yeah, I, I think it's it's nice to have a deep league or at least a, t- a league that's super competitive pretty much across the board. Um, the problem is you run the risk of uh, having no representation in the college playoff, which the ACC has managed to, to do every year. Um, and, I mean, that's the case for the Pac-12, which looks like it's in real trouble, and the Big 12. Um, and, and that's the case for them every pretty much every year of the playoff so far. Right. You're too deep for your own good. Right. Clemson hasn't, or not Clemson, the ACC hasn't really had a major issue with it so far. Clemson or Florida State's gotten in without much drama uh, every year. Um, so obviously Clemson still, you know, probably in the driver's seat for one of those four bids, but if they lose a game or if they, you know, drop, I mean, obviously Miami could do too, because if they went out, they'll be in probably. But, um, you know, if you have Miami drop a game and then beat Clemson in the ACC title game, which has to be on the table, then things get really sticky because there are, you have Notre Dame lingering out there as an, a potential 11 and one team that probably needs some help. But, um, the first chance of them getting in, I think, uh, they'll probably uh, do so um, if they have a legitimate piece. Uh, you have the SEC, which, I mean, I, I can't see Georgia losing until the SEC championship, and I can't see Alabama losing until potentially Georgia beating them. But even so, if you have a, a 13-0 Alabama and a 12-1 Georgia, both those teams might very well get in. So, And then, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State are still kind of lingering. So it, it's not a guarantee that, that we just get a team in again if Clemson doesn't kind of return to form a bit. Um, and they, you know, obviously won last week, but they didn't look, you know, superb doing it. So definitely a concern for the ACC overall. Uh, Syracuse beating Clemson certainly didn't help matters, but <laughs> I, I think we'll all sign on that, sign for that one. But, uh, you know, it, it, all we can really hope, uh, you know, I, I hope that we get a team in again because I think it's good to be part of a league that uh, is consistently there. But at the same time, I think foremost Syracuse fans are concerned about what we do in these last, uh, these last four games against opponents that now – all look beatable and also all look like they could, you know, take Syracuse uh, behind the woodshed. Yeah, I think, you know, that's what I was getting into in that piece earlier today. Um, and for those listening, we're recording this on Monday, which is different than our usual day. So forgive any uh, past or future tense uh, tomfoolery that happens to happen as a result. Um, yeah, Syracuse, as much as 
The path to six wins looks even more likely. I know Bill Connolly's numbers say it's a 65% chance now, which is even better than last year, last week by about 8%. Problem is, though, as much as we're gaining um, chances from Florida State and Louisville not being as good as advertised, um, we're also losing a little bit from BC improving so much. So now we're in a case, we're in a place where there's four straight toss up games instead of two sure losses and two, at least one sure win. Which, I mean, if you're viewing these all as a coin flip, it's 50-50. You could easily go 2-2. Two and two. But unfortunately, we don't live in a world where these games are coin flips. Um, you know, right now, Wake is seen, at least by S&P, as the 24th best team in the country. There's only a 40% chance of winning that game. I don't buy that necessarily. I think that's also a result of S&P just not being, really being high on our lack of efficiency, which is fair. Um, I know with Florida State, uh, that's now a 50-50 game. Um, Louisville is very close to a 50, and eh, no, that one's a little bit further. That's a 36%. Um, I still think that's probably closer to a 50-50 game. And then BC is drifting further and further down toward a 50-50 game. Uh, was it like 82 or 84% about three weeks ago? And now it's down to 61%. Um, projected scoring margin is now 28 to 23 in favor of Syracuse. Uh, right now, uh, S&P Plus win probabilities say 5.87 wins for Syracuse. Um, as the uh, the projection, so obviously we'd need to you know turn one of these you know fifty percent or so games into a win on top of the BC game, which right now is like again it's at the top end of toss up territory, but it's still very much in toss up territory. Yeah, I mean we like half jokingly talked about, I mean well, I probably not even half joking, like we had like a sarcastic tone, but also like discussed that BC had looked really really good for a couple weeks, and then they went and beat Florida State by thirty two points which uh, didn't really make it even seem uh, all that crazy that, you know, Syracuse could play four really good games and potentially not win one of these because BC, like, I think at this point you have to acknowledge what they've done. It's not just a one-game fluke or a two-game fluke. Like, they've beaten, they, I mean, they've, they've waxed three teams in a row, or not, they didn't wax Louisville. They put on a lot of points on Louisville, and they just crushed Florida State. So uh, clearly they have something going there, uh, right in the time of need for Steve Adazio, who... Uh, was you know pretty well uh, on his way to flirting with the hot seat uh, entering the year, um, and then Wake has just looked really really solid. They they they're just one of those teams that uh, plays its team every week, and they're not going to beat themselves. So they're you know a tough out. And Florida State's a mess, but they're super talented. And Louisville has the Heisman winner. So and and they're also a mess, but you know Lamar Jackson has torched us. So yeah, it's it's a precarious position. Um, and it's easy to say, you know, it's nice that Florida State and Louisville looked like games that Syracuse could certainly win. That's that's true, but BC and Wake, it was a lot nicer when BC and Wake seemed like, uh, at the very, you know, at, at worst, you could like pencil in a, a pretty decent shot or win there, and that's still the case. But uh, they the road definitely looks uh, more murky now, where we kind of knew where our our chips were uh, a couple weeks back. Yeah, and, and I think again, like in some ways, you do want to have a chance against every opponent. In that case, we do. But, yeah, in the other way, now we also have a chance to lose against every opponent where we probably didn't um, a few weeks ago. I, I think, you know, I mentioned this in the piece as well, like every year you can probably bet on Syracuse to win four and lose four. It's what happens in the middle that really makes the season. Um, usually those four opponents are going to stay pretty static. Um, instead, Syracuse turned... Louisville and Florida State into like middle class citizens on this schedule, 
while we instead beat Clemson, we turn Middle Tennessee into a loss and switch that out. So college football is rarely linear, but I feel like Syracuse is more predictable than most in terms of the results that you're probably going to be able to get. Um, but, you know, maybe this season is the first step to many of proving me wrong there um, as we now, again, kind of figure out Right now, the second most likely win is Florida State on the road. Syracuse hasn't played as well on the road, though they have been competitive. Um, Florida State's obviously more talented, even though they literally just gave up last week. Um, We're in a weird situation now where, like, what do you want to take from that BC-Florida State game? Do you want to take the fact that BC was able to, you know, bliss Florida State pretty regularly, really get a lot of hits on uh, James Blackman? Uh, generate some turnovers. Uh, they didn't really do much in the passing game. They ran the ball reasonably well, and they still won by 32. Like For all these games, BC just hasn't really done anything crazy. They've just beaten teams, not at their own game, but they've just beaten teams playing a better version of what they have been for the last couple of years, um, which is at least a little unnerving um, for me as a Syracuse fan. I know you too. Um, and then you know, on the other side of that coin, though, is Florida State. Like, did Florida State give up? Were they really that thwarted by what Boston College was able to throw out there? Can Florida State really not move the ball like that? Because then in that case, I feel much better. But like you said right at the beginning, like, there's so much unknown here that I'm getting very, uh, very nervous uh, about what we're looking at. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just tough because, like, the BC game is definitely, we, we've talked about it, it's just the one that you thought we knew we had. And just seeing them beat Florida State 35-3 to is so disconcerting, um, looking at the box score now. And, and like you said, it's it's basically the Boston, the ugly Boston College offense that was like effective a couple of years ago. Uh, Anthony Brown, like he was six for 20, 54 yards. He did not really do a lot of damage in this game. And you can't uh, beat Syracuse doing that. Like, it's literally no. impossible. Yeah, and, and, and Syracuse is a really good run defense. Um, but when you can run the ball for 240 yards against the, a, a defense uh, as talented as Florida State, like while I'm I'm pretty high on what Syracuse's defense has done this year, um, apologize for my do- the dog uh, running around here. Um, usually that's from the other side. Yeah, I'm at my parents' house, so he's just running amok. Um, no, I mean Syracuse's run defense has been fantastic uh, this season, but Florida State has a, has five stars all over the place and. They, you would think that they would uh, have a better shot at holding BC down a little bit, and and Boston College ran for 240 yards. Um, so, yeah, it, it's 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 a little scary. I, I think if, if BC is that one dimensional, I, I still you know like SU's chances, especially at home where they've played uh, better this year. Um, but it, it's it just makes this interesting, and it, it it's frustrating because this season would it has been so fun in so many ways, and you've seen such stark improvements. Um, to miss out on a bowl because, like, two other teams just happened to peak at the same time and got the best of us on one night um, would be pretty uh, demoralizing. But obviously we don't, you know, we have, can't count those as losses yet either. So it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be nerve-wracking, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully Dino has some answers here. Yeah, and I, I think you will. And, you know, if we're looking at these in terms of importance, Um, I'd say this game, to me, becomes the most important right off the bat. I think it just sets the tone. I think while it's not... like I think that the win over Clemson is the deliverance of the promise that Dino Babers talked about. This is taking that promise and turning it into more results. 
And, and obviously, we said after the Clemson win, like the Clemson win is step one, and it, it's a great first step. It, it, it's a it's a key moment for the program. But let's let's contextual let's wait to fully contextualize it and what it means and, and how important it is towards the end of the season. Because at the end of the day, if we go five and seven, don't make a bowl game. No one outside the Syracuse fan base is going to remember that win as much, you know, four or five, six years down the road. Recruits aren't either. They're just going to remember the fact that Syracuse didn't make a bowl game again. I think this Florida State game allows us to get to five and four, three and two in the conference, and really give us a little more to play with because, again, like Wake Forest and Louisville are, are the two least likely games, again, again based on the, the S&P Plus projections. The, the, the gulf between the most and the least likely wins are not, is not wide at all. Um, but it is worth pointing out that, like, if you're if you're gonna grab a win here, like Florida State again, second a fifty fifty shot right now, um, that would get us to five and give us three games to win one um, against these teams, which sounds a lot better than you know three games to win two toward the end. And I know that this is really just a semantics argument that's based on how the schedule shakes out, but like that's something that mentally factors into momentum, factors into you know. Your, your motivation there there's so much that goes into this um that getting that initial win i think tells this team that hey we can do it we can close the season um, and, and especially for someone like eric dungy who has yet to play past the first quarter of any ninth game of the season um at the collegiate level this tells him that, that that he has the confidence to get through the entire year and i think he has that confidence but it's one thing to believe it you know outwardly it's another thing to to mentally be able to internalize that feeling and, and, and be fully, you know, sure that that you're going to be able to to play a full season of college football. Yep, and that's that's. I mean, I feel like we've been down this road a couple times now in recent years, and obviously it hasn't been with a team that's looked this good or uh, a schedule quite played out this way. It's mostly been Syracuse is not doing its, you know, handling its business down the stretch. But uh, I guess it's better than last year, where things were, you know, the last couple of years where things have been uh, kind of well accounted for obviously last year we were you know still in it after the virginia tech win but things fell apart after that but it's stressful but i i guess it's one of the nice things about college football though is that you you almost always have something to play for unless you're just one of the absolute dregs which we are accustomed to <laughs> um but i'd rather be stressed out in uh, heading into november than you know just trying to play out the stretch i guess yeah same i mean last year we were kind of in a similar situation four and four uh we got there a different way but uh, yeah, we were four and four at the break. Then we uh, then we lost miserably to Clemson, um, and then everything just kind of went downhill from there. Uh, obviously, this year's Florida State team is not last year's Clemson team, but um, a loss definitely wouldn't set us on the track that we needed to. And again, that doesn't mean we can't do it. We've we've been here. Um, you know, we were what four and six the last time we made a bowl game, and then we won the last two, maybe. Uh, I'd look it up. Yeah, I I like forget so much about the 2013 season. It was it was (laughs) a blur because I tried to I tried to block out like definitive parts of it. Because so much of it was so bad, and then a lot of it, you know, and even the wins were like just scraped together, and there was no real offense to speak of. So it was just kind of a a weird, messy year. Um, I'm looking now. Yeah, I uh, I remember like I think I've actively deleted like parts of my own memory just to get rid of that Georgia Tech game and anything about it. Yeah, the Georgia Tech game is, like, it's unfortunate that that's, aside from maybe the bowl, uh, that's probably the, still the most memorable game on that schedule. <laughs> um, so they were, 
they had the two opening losses to Penn State, which they should have won, and Northwestern, which they got beat up pretty bad. And then they beat Wagner and Tulane, and then lost to Clemson, beat NC State on the road, lost to Georgia Tech by a million, and then they beat Wake, beat uh, Maryland, and then lost the next two. So, yeah, they were at four and six. So they were four uh, – no, they had to be five and six heading into BC. Okay. And they – because that was, like, basically a – I think that was a play-in game, basically, for a bowl. I think BC was also five and six. I could be wrong. And that one, BC – that was the first, that was the year BC was like actually like fringe rank. They weren't like top twenty five. They were close. I thought that was the year they had uh, what was the running back's name Andre Williams. Yeah, and we shot him down. We shut him down, we, and, and then we scored. Hurt. And we scored like at the end of the end of the game to win. Yeah, I was at that game, which was wonderful. Um, obviously, uh, I don't was that a Friday? No, that wasn't a Friday night. That was no, that was that a Saturday. Was, I thought that was a Friday night. No, it was a Saturday. I'm looking because it would no, it was the same day as the uh, oh, yeah, as the Kicks, as Kicks, Iron Bowl, which happened like a little bit after. I was watching um, the SU game on my phone, and then I remember like right after I looked up like just as the Kick Six was starting, because it was like within minutes. I was out to dinner, and I was like, I was at a bar. Yeah, I went to Fagan's and saw like maybe the last couple drives of that game. Um, yeah, so BC actually had been riding uh, riding a four game winning streak heading into the uh, that game. They had beaten. It started out. They started out three and four, and then they rolled off wins uh, against Vatech at New Mexico State, and then versus NC State, and then at Maryland before uh, going to the Dome. And Syracuse picked up the uh, the win with the rollout at the end, the tight end throwback rather. Uh, so the BC game is probably the most notable. I guess that's that's about as memorable as the Georgia Tech game. Um, but it was like a kind of a again, it was kind of a weird year, um, despite being a rare recent bowl season. Agreed. Definitely, uh, definitely weird. Definitely kind of stuck in no man's land. Um, you know, between the uh, Marone era and the Babers era, you get that one year that Schaefer got to a uh, a bowl game, won it, and then we all thought Syracuse was going to go eight four the next year, which we did not. Um, definitely not ideal, but that's the we past. <laughs> we we didn't win eight more games in his uh, tenure, so definitely uh, not quite what we thought. Oh well, I mean we are we are we are now, and I think we we wouldn't trade it at this point. So this is true. Um, Dan, why don't we uh, do a little bit early halftime, and uh, we can get to some more preview stuff for the good people. Sounds good. I wasn't sure if we were gonna do halftime this this one or or the next one. I guess we, we could do it this one. Cool. I actually have a bunch, so works out. I do not have a bunch, so oh, the floor is yours. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to think of where, okay. Uh, so I opened the week, um, I had some Innocent Gun, uh, I had, I don't think I brought that up last week, I, I my days have kind of blended together because I had a long weekend down in SEC country. Um, but I'm pretty sure I didn't bring that, bring up that last week, uh, just a solid standby, whenever I find that I enjoy it. Um, and then this weekend I was down in Columbia for the South Carolina Vanderbilt game visiting some friends. And uh, we stopped over at River Rat Brewing, which is uh, probably the biggest brewery in, in Columbia. Uh, and they have some just pretty generally good stuff. Uh, their Kolsch is really good. They have a, a Honey Biscuit Red Ale, uh, which is nice. Um, their Hell's Bach is, is quite good. So, And that's just a really cool space if you're ever down in that town. Um, cool outdoor area. Uh, and then I had a couple other, I think I had some Westbrook down there as well. Um, but, yeah, just a, a pretty good overall 
weekend for some for some local ones. Or so local ones from South Carolina, not up here. Nice. I'm glad you uh, glad you got surprised with an offensive uh, showcase down there. Uh yeah, kind of. I mean, it was uh, it was it was there were some points. There were probably more points than you'd expect from from those two teams, but it was uh, maybe not the most exciting. They didn't they didn't weren't for the most exciting fashion. I'd say. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right, on my end. I drink a ton. Like I said, I had a, on Friday, had a Midnight Autumn Maple from the brewery. Just a, uh, a more aggressive version of their usual Autumn Maple, Dark Ale, um, brewed with yams. Um, I was at a wedding on Saturday night, so I just stuck to uh, a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Um, I was up in Pasadena yesterday, so checked out a uh, Careful With That Passion Fruit Eugene from Beachwood Blendery. It's still Lambic. It's pretty good. Um, and then during the World Series last night, had a celebration from uh, Sierra Nevada and then a Beachwood Foam Top. So, again, not a super exciting weekend. I'll have plenty more next week. Uh, one of my buddies in town, so we'll be, uh, we'll be touring the, uh, the, the local scene, as it were. Nice. I actually forgot one. I had the uh, Catawba White, White Zombie, which is uh, a white, as you'd imagine. Um, pretty good overall. You know, a really solid white. Nothing too crazy, but... Very refreshing and tasty, and tasty, so throw that one in there, too. We'll make a note. So, Dan, looking directly at this Florida State game, um, which, again, I think is, is, is critically important for us, what do you see from this Seminoles team in terms of what they can do to Syracuse um, on the offensive end? Because it hasn't looked like they've been able to do much, though they did manage at least something against Louisville recently. I just don't want to underestimate them because yeah. they are so talented. And Florida State uh, probably fields one of the five, I mean, just total roster talent um, behind maybe just Alabama and Ohio State and maybe a couple other schools like on a year-to-year basis. But if you're taking like uh, rolling recruiting rankings, I oh, think yeah. it's, Florida it's State. probably... Definitively third at, at worst. Yeah, it's, it's probably Alabama, Ohio State, and then I would say it's hard to come up with someone else besides Florida State there. And there's... You know, on a year a year to year basis, maybe you have like one of the Texas schools or another SEC school hopping up there. But Florida State is consistently a top five recruiting team. Um, they are talent. Their roster stocked with talent. I think any notion that Jimbo Fisher should worry about his job, even though the season has been a disaster, is ridiculous. He's a national championship winner. Um, he is a you know places pretty much every big quarterback that plays for him in the NFL and, and for reason. So they're they're a horrific disappointment this year when they entered with national championship aspirations, um, but like I, I just nothing in this game would shock me because having lost to BC by thirty two, and uh, uh, that that you know that's really the only super jarring result on its own. Mm-hmm. To be honest, like losing to Louisville, while Louisville is also kind of a mess. Lamar Jackson is really good, and like he can beat a lot of teams by himself. And losing to Miami, like literally everyone who's played Miami's lost to them. Losing to NC State, like, that's a really good team. Alabama obviously is is the number one team in the country. So you take these like as individual results, and you get them considering the Florida State lost its quarterback. Like this is a really brutal schedule. But they didn't look good against Wake Forest, and I know Wake's solid, but you would think that Florida State would be able to do better than one touchdown win there, um, even with the best Wake team in what like seven or eight years. Um, they only beat Duke, who's middling at best by a touchdown, and those are their two wins by a total of 14 points. So it, it's it's tough to like totally write them off because the losses they've had 
are to some really good teams, or at least, you know, a, a three really good teams, Boston College, which is uh, all of a sudden an enigma, and Louisville, which has the, the defending Heisman winner. Um, but at the same time, you know, they, they, they're clearly not coming to play every week. And uh, you don't know what the motivation is, because at 2-5, and five, like, you, you think that they would want to battle back and, and win three of these next four or four of these next five and, and get to a bowl. But uh, actually, no, they need to sweep, right? Yeah, uh, they, yeah. Won, they, they lost a game. So they have to sweep, which includes winning at Clemson. Um, yeah, so you'd think that that would be a motivation, but for a team like Florida State, like, does going to another bowl mean that much to them? I, I don't honestly don't know. I, I assume there's some kind of a there's some kind of a pride thing, but like I don't know that a, that even a six and five Florida State team is going to be like super motivated to play in like whatever you know third tier ACC bowl game they would get to. No, probably. So not. they're a pretty young team too, so it's not like these. It's not like it's like loaded with seniors who are sitting there going like, "Oh man, it's my last shot to like do whatever." Like you, you guys already did plenty. Yeah, a lot of these. I mean these. A lot of these players have, you know, played the biggest stage. I'm trying to think back, like, the date-wise. I don't think anyone on this team would have won a national championship. Maybe that yeah. was 20... No, that was I mean, any seniors would have. Were they on that team? Yeah, because... Yeah, 2014... Uh, wait, no. Uh, because Redshirt Senior would have been on that team. They wouldn't have That's played. What I'm saying. Yeah. It, was a, it had to be a fifth-year senior. So someone redshirted or someone who got, like, a weird... Uh, you know, medical redshirt at some point, which I don't know the, what the case is there. Um, part of me thinks that maybe we should have seen this a little bit quicker. Like, I I kind of bought on the on the national championship hype heading in uh, because I'm a big fan of DeAndre Francois. I was all aboard. Yeah, he's great. But when you take him away, you have a team that has uh, a super talented five-star running back in Cam Akers, but Dalvin Cook, like, you don't just replace Dalvin Cook. Um the receiving core was shredded from last year. I think they lost four of their top five guys, including, you know, not no superstars in that group, but Travis Rudolph was a, a really, really good college player. Uh, Bobo Wilson was really solid. Kermit Whitfield solid. Tuck was a, a dangerous receiving threat out of the backfield. So it wasn't like um, whoever the backup was was going into f- with this really uh, proven, uh, experienced squad. Like, it was a lot of talent at receiver, but not a lot of existing production. And when you don't have... Uh, your, uh, for lack of a better phrase, franchise quarterback there, it makes it hard for that group to develop. Um, so maybe this this was uh, something that we could have seen happening if Francois got hurt. Even if he was healthy, maybe this was a team that was destined for like an 8-4 and four year where you know they could pick off anyone, but things had weren't quite gelling yet. Um, but now, I mean, it just seems like kind of the sum of all fears with how things have played out. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of where Louisville's at, too. Like, Florida State's obviously more talented, but, you know, offensive line problems are offensive line problems, as we know. Um, and we also know, you know, in recent years, Eric Dungy, for us, has been able to, to make up for a lot of issues in, in the trenches and in the run game and, and then help gloss over some problems now. When you have, you know, an elite, more talented team, you should be able to, to gloss over those issues even easier with a backup um, than we can, but... Nothing's looked okay. Um, I think, you know, Jimbo's gone the super conservative route um, with Blackman in there, and I don't think that's a bad idea, but at the same time, like, it's obviously not working. Um, the defense finally fell apart. I know that uh, that Charles Kelly, it seems like he's been demoted as defensive coordinator. I know I was seeing, like, some I murmurs. saw that. 
that would I, I don't think that's been made official, has it? I've been kind of like off yeah, the bridge. Yeah, I didn't really see the official, but that'd be that'd be weird. Yeah. <laughs> like Charles that's, Kelly's kind that's of not the name. problem. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the offense. The offense is ranked. Uh, I think I saw 110th in S and P, which is nuts. I get it. Like I get Jimbo trying to keep it conservative for Blackman, but it's not like you can. It's all like you can just run a, a freshman quarterback out there and you know say just don't lose the game when you are running out a lot of freshmen. Uh, receivers and a running back and a uh, offensive line in shambles. Like it wasn't like he was surrounded by guys and he could just go kind of play his game and and you and you know learn on the fly. He has to be the focal point of the offense going in when he did not expect to play this year. So right, he's got to be able to lift these guys up the way that Francois was expected to lift them up because like the running back situation. To be honest, I like with Jock Patrick and Cam Akers. Like I was expecting a hell of a lot more from them, even with the struggling offensive line. Because, I mean, the offensive line was bad last year, too. I mean, look at how many times Francois got hit. But I just never expected it to bottom out like this. And, like, the run game, I mean, last week against BC was non-existent. Like, Akers was shut down the entire night. And as a result, like, everyone just keyed in on Patrick, uh, not on Patrick, excuse me, on Blackman. And, I mean, he was sacked, what, like seven times, something like that. Like, BC's a very good defense, but... They shouldn't be so good where they're able to outweigh the talent level to that extent and, and, and render them and render Florida State completely like useless on offense. Yeah, I, it made to, I, I think we're going to probably see a similar game plan to what we saw against Clemson, uh, which also has uh, an iffy offensive line. Obviously, had a, a hobbled Kelly Bryant. Um, Blackman is healthy as far as I know, but he's not as experienced or, or as effective as Kelly Bryant. Um, and his sack rate is is pretty bad for. I mean, it's, it's not all on him. The quarter, the uh, you have a, a freshman quarterback who you know doesn't know, doesn't have like the full pocket presence that a, a junior or senior would have, plus a, a bad, a mediocre offensive line. Um, I think he's getting sacked uh, over ten percent of the time. Um, so I could see us kind of teeing off as we did against Clemson, where obviously the defensive line just put on a, a absolute show, um, and we're probably the most aggressive that we've been in the Bama's era by far. So I think we might have the blueprint as to how Syracuse is going to handle this team there. Yeah, which would be great. And uh, if what Dino was saying today, that uh, Kendall Coleman's going to be back, uh, that's even better. Because as, as good as the, the pass rush has been, I think Alton Robinson's been a big part of that, uh, along with Chris Slayton, obviously, up the middle, um, is having Coleman and having another you know fresh pair of legs to throw in there. Uh, could be critical against a team like Florida State that's going to be able to really exhaust those uh, defensive linemen for Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, defensive line is definitely a spot where I'm not going to ever complain about getting another guy back, even if, like, you have been rolling with the guys you have, because you can always, I feel like you can always find a, a spot to, to get some guys, some rotation snaps and some uh, some fresh looks and, and different looks for the offensive line, especially a young one like Florida State's. Um, so Coleman being back would be uh, a pretty nice um, I, I don't know if it's unexpected, but I, I don't know that we knew exactly when he'd be back. So if, if he is, does play against the Seminoles, I think it'd be a pretty nice thing for this defense. Agreed. And uh, yeah, since it doesn't seem like Josh Black will be back, uh, based on Dino Baber's comments today, uh, he mentioned Coleman, he didn't really mention Josh Black. So I'm assuming that Black still is a couple weeks out. Um, at this point, I feel like I mean, let's see what happens against Florida State, but I feel like if Black just can't make it back by, like, the Wake Forest game, maybe we think about just, like, seeing if we can get the medical red shirt there. I mean, Black hasn't played since, what, the second game? 
it's been a while. I don't remember exactly how much, but unless it, I mean, it, it feels like it hasn't been the, was it four games? That's the yeah. upper limit. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think you, uh, you obviously want him in there if you think he can help get to the bowl, but you, you, again, you always have to weigh whether it's worth it when you could possibly get another year of eligibility, which would be huge. hundred percent. Nah. It kind of leads to the other part of this unfortunate injury conversation. Uh, While Sierra Hughes is fairly healthy, all things considered, uh, there are still players that are not present. Uh, Antoine Cordy is officially out for the year. Um, It seemed like he just wasn't progressing at the rate that he needed to, and maybe, you know, Babers did a little bit of that math too. Saw what's coming in and and what was needed and what's needed from Cordy and how he can be more, you know, helpful to the team and for his career. Um, And it seems like he'll be out for the year. He'll probably get a, a sixth year of eligibility, um, which means he'll be able to play in 2018 and 2019, which would be huge um, for Syracuse, and I think would actually give them a really deep and really experienced uh, secondary for the next two years. Um, and then I know, unfortunately, um, Jordan Martin uh, will be out for the rest of the season, and that sucks for him uh, for many, many reasons, but uh, notably because you know he's pretty much done now. Um, he played, you know, more than half the season. This was his grad transfer year, so unfortunately, uh, that's unlikely that they get him back unless, you know, they make a bowl game. And, and didn't really seem like Babers uh, expanded upon what uh, Martin's ailment was. So, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's 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 bad enough that he'll miss November, but not bad enough that they'll have to miss the bowl game too. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it seems for both of them. Obviously, Martin it probably means his college career is over, which is really unfortunate, and he's been a nice player for us. Um, Cordy, like you said, has been great when he's healthy, and it's really unfortunate that he's had another year end this way. Um, luckily, I mean, I think Syracuse has done a pretty nice job of filling in for these guys when they've gone down in the secondary. We've seen a pretty stark improvement from them overall. I've, we've obviously had a lot from Christopher Fredericks and some of the other guys in those spots. So hopefully there isn't a huge setback and it's been a couple of weeks since we've had Cordy. Um, but it, I mean, it just stinks when anyone misses, uh, misses out on the year with anything, uh, especially I feel for Martin because this, you know, probably think you, you know, have a real shot to, to make a nice, you know, have a nice finish to your college career here and make your mark uh, in a bigger league and to have it, uh, and halfway through is tough, but uh, hopefully he has a good rest of his, his year at SU and a solid experience away from the field, at least. Agreed, agreed. Um, best of luck to Jordan in his uh, recovery. But um, Dan, I guess wrapping us up here, um, meander there anyway, how do you see this one going? Obviously, we said there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of uncertainty uh, for both teams. What do you see Syracuse being able to do or not do against Florida State? Um, I, this just looking at everything these last couple days, um, a it was pretty crazy. I think the opening line came out at two and a half, but mm-hmm. I, I think some places it's been all it's been moved all the way to an even line. I have to double check that. But seeing Syracuse basically in a in a spot where uh, Vegas and the betters believe, or at least the betters based on their their trend so far, believe that Syracuse would be a favorite in a neutral field against Florida State is pretty crazy. Um, overall, I, I think I'm just gonna go with. I don't think I've chosen Syracuse to win a game in a while here, and they <laughs> keep on doing it. Um, I think I might have chosen to beat Pitt. Uh, I probably did, but yeah. I certainly didn't choose them to beat Clemson, and uh, they did. And I didn't choose them to beat Miami, and they really came very close. Um, so I'm going to use the logic of Florida State is super talented, and they're at home, and it just, like, I still can't quite believe that 
this would play out this way. So I'll take Florida State in a very close one. I'll I'll do. Uh, I don't know how how many points they're able to store with the offense that they're fielding. I'll do Florida State to win twenty to seventeen, and uh, I welcome uh, me being wrong again. I think that would be great. Same. Um, so I'm gonna go the opposite way. I'm picking Syracuse here. I'm going something like. Give me twenty three seventeen. That seems a little ridiculous, sure, but give me twenty three seventeen. I think Syracuse defense shuts down Florida State as they're driving at the end. Um, a nice stand for them and a nice boost of confidence um, going down Tallahassee and grabbing that win. Uh, I think that Syracuse offense is going to be significantly slowed down, especially early if they start slow um, against Florida State's defense, which might be a little more recharged, um, perhaps under a new coordinator. Um, Kelly will stay on staff if he is indeed demoted. So who knows how much really changes in just a week. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, if Syracuse plays the way they did early um, against Miami, I think that's cue for disaster. The only problem that Florida State would have in that situation is that they they don't have the pieces right now on offense and the ability to stop Syracuse's pass rush the way Miami did. So, um, you know, Miami played as tight. Um, and they obviously, you know, took advantage of some of the mistakes, but, like, they had the offense that was able to do that and test us, and I just don't know if uh, Florida State is going to be able to have that big play um, option anywhere um, on the offense to to take advantage of that. So I'll, I'll give Syracuse the advantage here, and again, I'll say six points, but I, that could very well prove to be pretty dumb. Um, and I could see Syracuse, you know, I could see Syracuse doing anything between Losing by two touchdowns or winning by, I'd say six points is my max, to be honest. Yeah, this is one of those where I really feel like if you just took the na- all the names and branding off the jerseys, I think you look and you just like Hughes a lot, but it's it's just so hard to go out and feel super confident about them against a team with the talent of Florida State, even if Florida State has been kind of a tire fire. Um but nothing would really surprise me. I, I don't see Syracuse blowing out FSU. I don't really see Florida State blowing out Syracuse either. But, like, anything within, like, a two-touchdown uh, range for either side, I feel like wouldn't be that crazy. Um, which, again, considering the the history of this uh, Florida State-Syracuse matchup in the ACC, I know we had the one close game where A.J. Long was doing some stuff, but... We still lost I mean, by, like, pretty... 20. <laughs> yeah, I think we still lost by 20, and it was, like, considered, like, oh, yeah, we kept it kind of close, I guess. Um, Schaefer so, error. We were in it into, into the third quarter. I guess that was nice. <laughs> I mean, considering all of the other games besides that one, which is the lone, like, not even bright spot, but, like, we looked vaguely competitive for a minute. Um, every other game has been an absolute rout. So uh, going down to Tallahassee and, and putting forth a, a really competitive effort, I think, It'd be tough to like paint this as a moral victory, considering Florida State's two and five. But uh, I, it might be one where we can look at it afterwards if we end up clutching a bowl and saying, you know, oh, we played Florida State tough, and we, you know, know how talented they are. Um, that also might be a tough sell for like the average college bowl fan who might know Florida State. But if you're looking for reasons to, to disband what Syracuse is doing, losing to a two and five team um, probably wouldn't be ideal, uh, even if you know it's tough to just take these things out of context. Oh, yeah, and said, you know, like, Dungey made some mistakes at the beginning of that game last week, but they, some of them were actually avoidable. Two of them were not even his fault. Um, if we could just avoid, like, throwing directly into Derwin James' hands, that'd be great. 
Um, yeah, Daryl James is still there. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's still there. It's easy to forget. One of the best players in college football. It's unfortunate that his talents are being wasted on the year they're having right now, but he is uh, – we hadn't mentioned him, so he probably deserves at least like a minute or two in this podcast. He's absolutely nasty. I don't really know off the top of my head what he's been doing this year because Florida State's been kind of buried since uh, the, the Alabama game, but – the, you know, he's he's an All-American player. He's going to be, um, I imagine he'll probably be a first-round pick. He's just a do-it-all superstar player. So don't want to don't want to uh, give him any any you know reasons to show out this weekend. Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, I guess the one good thing is that I feel like the only time Dungey goes deep has been like with one-on-one matchups against corners. I can't imagine James is going to get like a one-on-one matchup with Ishmael. Right. Like I just that's not really his role. He kind of. Uh, He's like all over the field. Um, not, I don't like the Tyron Matthew comparison in terms of like this the way they play. Derwin's like six inches taller and and goes into the box a lot more. But like that kind of versatility, um, you'll see him line up on the edge. You'll see him line up at linebacker. You'll see him at safety. I don't think we'll see him one on one with Ishmael unless they feel like they just absolutely need to erase him from the game. But it's not like they don't have other capable defensive backs who will get that call. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we how we attack him and how we handle him overall, because he is just you know so clearly um, the leader of this team. And I'm sure if anyone really is going to be motivated motivated for this game, it'll be him. Yeah, no, I, I completely buy that. I think you know James is someone who can take away the the play over the top, but we also ha- don't really try a lot of plays over the top. Um, this year's team is different than last year's team because like Ambed Atawa, you were able to just you know send him streaking down the field and he largely was going to have this big size advantage and like Ishmael can go up and get a ball but Ishmael is so much better in single coverage and like than he is necessarily in crowded space Etatawa was able to make things happen in a crowd um that that Ishmael just isn't and that's not a bad thing for Ishmael he's just a different type of receiver he I think he excels along the sideline better than uh Etatawa did um most of them can be a little bit shaky hand-wise. I think that Ishmael is a better route runner, um, but I digress. Um, I, I think we're going to see very minimal uh, single coverage options for him against James or otherwise uh, this weekend. But as we've discussed before, that opens up opportunities underneath for uh, Irvin Phillips. That opens up some stuff for Ravian Pierce, assuming we're running the ball as well as we have recently. Um, that could open up you know, something for, like, maybe we get Sean Riley involved again. Devin Butler's shown himself um, a very capable complement um, to you know, Steve Ishmael on the outside. So maybe we're using Ishmael as a way to draw a double team on one side, and then seeing if we can beat single coverage on the other with Butler. Like, there are a lot of things we can do here, and, and you know, most teams can can do a lot of things, um, at least try a lot of things against a team like Florida State to try to minimize the impact of James. But I'm hoping that at least if, if Ishmael. I don't want us to try to force something into Ishmael that ends up causing what, would, again, the type of disaster we saw last week. Um, and I guess not last week, but two weeks ago against Miami. Yeah, uh, it's. I, I think those are really good points. Um, obviously, Ishmael uh, again will be down, not quite as close to his hometown um, at Miami, but he'll be in Florida for the second time in three weeks. Um, I'm sure he'll want to put, put forth another big uh, performance after. You know, he hasn't really been slowed down. Obviously, there have been like penalties and some other things, but he hasn't put up the the same exact gaudy numbers that he was earlier in the season. Not that he hasn't been incredibly effective in pretty much every game this year, but 
I expect that he'll want to do some some damage against Florida State as well. Yeah, I mean, not like he cares about his uh, All American status, but I would say that that is a. Uh... It's hanging in the balance a little bit right now based on some recent production. I would say that if he wants to get back in that conversation for the full season All-American, um, a nice like six or seven catch day against Florida State would go a long way towards that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much national attention we'll see in this game just because Florida State is down, but um, I think anytime you, you torch the Seminoles, it, it can't hurt. So uh, it would be cool to see Ishmael kind of push for, for third-team recognition on some of these sites uh, some and publications because... I mean, he's had a heck of a year, and uh, it'd be nice to see him roll into NFL draft uh, time with with kind of the same accolades that Amba was getting. Obviously, it didn't work out where Amba got got, uh, drafted, but Ishmael also has more than just one year of uh, impressive play. So it would be nice to to get those things to go along with uh, at least two more wins. Two, two, true. Um that's a good place to stop us, Dan. I feel like we uh, feel like we actually dove into this Florida State matchup quite a bit, and I hope that uh, hope Syracuse decides to. They're not going to be able to do what Boston College did, just differing styles of play and and all that. But I, I do hope they were able to put on a nice show and hopefully get to five and four. Yes, let's do it up. All right, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. You can be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes on Blog Talk. And uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.